Lord, we thank you so much again for this morning. And God, as we come to you today, we come in expectation, knowing that when we call upon you, you are here for us. And so, Lord, I ask for a greater understanding of your word, for it is your word that sustains us. So, God, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us today. Anoint your word and move upon our hearts by your Holy Spirit this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In order to extend our lives and maybe even beat an early death, Many have turned to different things now in our modern age, right? More exercise or maybe more sleep. And, and of course, we see a lot of articles now about eating right. Someone made this observation about our nutrition. I thought it was funny. They said the Japanese eat very little fat and suffer fewer heart attacks than the British or the Americans. However, the Mexicans eat much fat and suffer fewer heart attacks than the British or the Americans. The Chinese drink very little wine and suffer fewer heart attacks than the British or the Americans. The Italians, on the other hand, drink excessive amounts of wine and have fewer heart attacks than the British or the Americans. What's the conclusion? Eat and drink whatever you want. It's speaking English that kills you. (laughs) I like that one. But the reality is this, right? That every person will one day face death. So the question stands, is death the final end? Well, the answer is no, right? And we understand that. For those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, it is not the end or a finality for us. Well, as we return to our study in the book of Hebrews, we find that Christ's death brings the forgiveness of sins, which then makes it so sin's curse no longer holds that finality of death over the believer. So Jesus' death, and this is what we're going to see here in our passage, Jesus' death put an end to sin's death. So I titled our message this morning, When Death Defeated Death. When Death Defeated Death. We're going to be studying Hebrews chapter 9 from verse 15 through 28 this morning. We're going to finish the chapter, picking up from where we last left a couple weeks ago on on verse 14, now verse 15 to the end. Our outline today is this. Number one, the sacrifice of life. Number two, the shedding of blood. And number three, the substitution of Christ. So let's begin here in our outline. Number one, the sacrifice of life. The sacrifice of life. Hebrews chapter 9, take a look with me here now, verse 15. It reads here, And for this reason he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. All right, so we begin with the writer saying, for this reason. For what reason is he talking about? Well, for what was talked about in the previous verses how we ended with last time in verse 13 and 14. And what we saw there is basically it's how Jesus' blood is much more effective than the animals when they were sacrificed. His blood when he offered himself as the sinless sacrifice for the atonement of our sins. 
So that's what he's talking about. He's continuing on in verse 15. So he says, for this reason, because of his sacrifice, he is, it says here in verse 15, is the mediator. He is our high priest that stands between God and believers. Now the rest of this verse is really packed with several things pertaining to how he is our mediator. And first of all, look, it says Jesus, our mediator, is the one who brought this new covenant and we've been talking about that right this is the new way to come to God as opposed to the old covenant in the old testament this is the gospel of Jesus Christ and then second we see here Jesus our mediator brought this new covenant into being how by means of his death the death of the cross when Jesus died on the cross and thirdly we see here in this verse that Jesus our mediator who died on the cross He died for the redemption of the transgression. That means he died to free us from the penalty of our sins. And what is that? Death. And this consequence was established really first, it says here, under the first covenant, under the laws and the the commandments that had been given to Moses. So this is the penalty of breaking God's standard of righteousness. And it can all be summed up in really this way. In Ezekiel 18, verse 4, the end of it says, The soul whose sins shall die. So understand that. Because of Christ's sacrifice, though, on the cross, there is now forgiveness. So because of that, we do not have to face the finality of death so fourthly if you see here in verse 15 it's saying because of that forgiveness from through christ's death on the cross believers can now receive the eternal inheritance and what's that well that's everything that salvation comes with forgiveness a new life right A, a, a forever relationship with god and a life in heaven when we die So all this was made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And this is the sacrifice of life. Thus our heading for this section. John MacArthur wrote this, He accomplished in one act what the work of the old priest only symbolized in many repeated acts. Jesus' supreme act of mediation was his own death on the cross. And I like that. So what we see all wrapped up in this verse is Jesus is our mediator and this is how he's done it. Now, the writer goes on, look at verse 16 and 17. The writer goes on and says, For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. So what the writer goes on to say is, The eternal inheritance that he just talked about in verse 15, it was activated, you you can say, when Christ died on the cross. And so the writer said, it's like a testament, which can be translated here in context as a will, like your last will and testament. So when a person makes his last will and testament, it becomes a legal document to what the beneficiaries will receive after the death of the testator, the person who made the will. So like a will and and the giving of an inheritance, all the benefits of the new covenant did come into play 
when Jesus died on the cross. That's how we received it. Jesus died so that believers could receive the benefits and the provision of this new covenant. Think about what 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty might become rich. So we have become rich, so to speak, in Christ Jesus when he died on the cross, when he came and died as a person on the cross, and then we received those benefits of salvation. So, What's the writer trying to get us to understand here? And this is our point in this first section. Everything salvation encompasses was made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus. That's what the writer is saying here. Everything salvation encompasses was made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus. Now imagine for a moment, say, a person is just just burdened, I mean crushed by the weight of debt. And they've tried to get out of that. They tried to do everything they could to get out of that load, but they keep running behind, and, and soon they feel like they've got to declare bankruptcy. But then out of the blue, this person receives news that a long-lost rich uncle has passed away and has given them, written them in their will, this inheritance that is more than enough to cover the debt that was crushing them. Finally, imagine how you feel, right? That person, the burden is lifted. The soul is free. And it's, it's like they've been, what? Like born again, right? Into this new life. Well, that is what Jesus has done for us. He came with the solution for the penalty that we owed for our sins. And it was death that paid for it. His death that paid for it. We owed this debt. Because of our sin. But Jesus came and took care of it. You know, I was thinking about this old hymn by Ellis J. Crumb. Where the first two stanzas read like this. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song. Amazing grace. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. The second stanza says, My debt he paid upon the cross. He cleansed my soul from all its dross. I thought that no one could all my sins erase. But now I sing a brand new song. Amazing grace. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. I love that. So you see what the writer's putting forth. Everything salvation encompasses was made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus. I want you to see when we look at verse 15 again where it says Jesus by means of death. By means of his death. Look at that. Stare at that. Think about that. That's how he, he secured this eternal inheritance that we receive. That means, you know, by means of his death. That means Jesus made the choice to do this for us. He willingly went to the cross to die for our sins. And if Christ did that For me, you know what I was thinking? Why do I make the choice to sin then? Yeah. Why do I make the choice to live in sin after all that he did for me? All that I have in Jesus, my salvation, all that it encompasses, you know what? He, it came as great cost to him. It cost him his life. Sin demanded a payment and Christ paid for it with his life. 
Have you really realized that your salvation was made possible by this? Think about it. You know, it's on my mind because uh, coming this Wednesday night, Lord willing, we will be studying Isaiah 53. And if you can come and make it, you, you know, I, I encourage you to come because we're going to focus on the prophecies that, about Jesus' sacrifice and all that he entailed. And we got to touch on it, touch on that in chapter 52 last Wednesday night. And, and I was telling everyone Wednesday night that I, was, I started getting teary-eyed when I was studying it, realizing all that Christ has done. Don't take it for granted. It was his death that wiped out that finality of death for believers. And that's when death defeated death. Let's move on here now. Number two in our outline, the shedding of blood. The shedding of blood. We've seen the sacrifice of life. Now we go on to the shedding of blood. Look now, Hebrews 9, verse 18. Beginning there, it says, Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet, wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Verse 21, Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. Now the writer goes on to here to say that there had to be the sacrifice made. And, and, and that's why, therefore, he talks about, in the Old Covenant, now remember he's writing to these Jews who are very familiar with all of this. He's saying in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, there was nothing dedicated without the blood, verse 18. In other words, in other words the act of ratifying the first covenant was basically inaugurated by the sprinkling of blood. That's why in verse 19, it says, Moses well, took the blood with the water, dipped the scarlet wool in, into it, which the scarlet wool was attached to the hyssop branch, and he dipped it into the blood and the water, and he sprinkled it. Moses also sprinkled the book of the law, it says here, and the people themselves, the commandments that God has given, and the people at, in this ceremony as they ratified this covenant. And then later in Jewish tradition, it says, and the Jews understood this, the tabernacle and even all its vessels, all the articles and implements, all the furnishings were also dedicated by the sprinkling of the blood. That's what verse 21 is talking about. And so verse 20 says, this is the blood of the covenant. This is what the Old Testament, uh, the Old uh, Covenant the old way was ratified. The sprinkling of the blood confirmed and ratified the commitment to the covenant. Now, it was in Exodus 24 that Moses took this blood of the sacrifice, sprinkled it on the altar. We read it in there. And you know what he did? He read the book of the law in the hearing of the people, like before the people. They listened. And you know what their response was? All that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient so they're saying we agree with what god is asking us to do and then moses took the blood sprinkled the people symbolically ratifying the agreement and in exodus 24 uh, 8 uh, moses said this is the blood of the covenant which the lord has made with you according to these words and so there it was at the base of mount sinai israel and the lord god made a covenant together and the blood sealed that commitment the blood ratified the old covenant so 
why did God use the blood? Why is there sprinkling of blood and blood and all this? Well, look at verse 22. It says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. So you see, the covenant was ratified by the sprinkling of the blood, and then the tabernacle and everything, they were purified by, and dedicated by the blood. But why is that? Why so much blood? Well, verse 22 tells us, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Remission means forgiveness. So without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. So forgiveness comes from the atonement made by the death of a life when they shed their blood. The shedding of blood. So you follow me here? Are you following me here now, right? So that's why our heading here, the shedding of blood. This is what the writer's talking about. Listen to what Leviticus 17, 11 says. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. See, the blood represents the life that was given to pay the penalty of sin. That's why the animals were sacrificed. And, and their life was given, and their blood that flowed from there made atonement because of the life this alone makes atonement there's no other way that that's the way god set things up now i think about this after the first sin that was ever committed by adam and eve you know then in genesis 3 21 it says god made them coverings or clothes made of skin and this is referring to animal skin remember when they first sinned um, and, and they, they sold themselves fig leaves, yeah, to try and cover their nakedness because then all of a sudden they're aware of everything and their sin. Well, that, that didn't do it. God had to clothe them with skin, it says here, animal skin. So this was the first time an animal was killed. And this was pointing to the day when the animal sacrifice was required for forgiveness to cover sin in the first covenant. So this is how forgiveness came through the atonement of blood. That's why the blood, and that's why the writer's talking about this here. Verse 23, he says, Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So the writer says that, look, if forgiveness comes through the blood, and then understand, that's why, therefore, the copies of things in heaven, which is the tabernacle, was, was a copy, remember, a fuzzy Xerox of, what, of the heavenly temple, uh, it had to be purified through that sprinkling of the blood. And, and that's how we talk about, you know, the blood of Christ cleanses us because we get forgiven and we're purified in that way. But then the writer says, when it comes to the heavenly things, though, he says, don't get, get, you know, don't think it, start thinking wrong things. Like, it, it's actually purified and cleansed with a better sacrifices. In other words, not the animal sacrifices. What he means, it's not that heaven needs cleansing or purifying. Of course, heaven is pure. But the heavenly things, he says. And you know what he's referring to? Believers who live eternally in heaven. So they are forgiven and cleansed by the blood of Jesus, the better sacrifice. His blood has forever washed away the sin that keeps people out of heaven. 
So the idea is the old covenant was based on the sacrificial blood of animals, but the new covenant is based on the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I know I said a lot. You can grab the CD or listen to it online later, but I hope this makes sense. The blood is the symbol of the life that was sacrificed. So the blood becomes the atonement for sin. So then the blood is what brings the forgiveness which cleanses us from that sin that separated us from God. And that's why, I hope this clicks in your mind, on the night before his death, Jesus sat with the disciples, right? Changed Passover into communion. And he said this in Matthew 26, 28, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Does that make sense? You following me here now? So the point here in this section is this. Forgiveness of our sin is directly tied to when Jesus shed his blood on the cross. Forgiveness of our sin is directly tied to when Jesus shed his blood on the cross. Now, I know this is, in our day and age, it's a little bit like graphic, you could say, you know. And maybe it's hard to think about, wow, there's a lot of blood, you know, being shed and going around here and there. And if you come to think about it, there is, there is a lot, in, you know, of talk like that in the Bible. You know, I was thinking about this. When, whenever we um, watch those doctor shows, you know, hospital kind of uh, TV shows and stuff, and when they start to do surgery and all that, you know, my, my wife, she's like, oh, wow, this is interesting. Me, I'm like, oh, man, let's fast forward. I, I, I don't like that. I don't like to watch. I can't watch. I, li- I don't like to see them. Even someone just take a scalpel and they cut and blood just goes, you know, out of it. Or, 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 you know, even when the doctor said, suction. Oh, in my mind, I picture blood being, you know, sucked to the tu- tube. And I, I can't take that. I, it's just me. But I think about, think about this, how hard it must have been for a Jewish family to offer up their little lamb from their own flock, to be sacrificed, to be slaughtered, for its blood to be drained out, yeah? And then that blood to be taken, to be sprinkled for the atonement of the sins. Imagine that. Imagine the Jewish family, yeah? To be in the understanding that their little lamb was sacrificed to atone for their sins, for what they did against God. The lamb died because of them. Imagine that. Some say that Christianity is a bloody religion. And you know what? I have to say yes. That's true. But there's no way around the stark reality. And I believe though God, God put it out this way to be offensive because sin is offensive to a holy God. Sin is wrong. And sin does cost something. And it costs a life. God, I think, put it out that way. And if we really see sin for what it is, you know what? We would be shamed, yeah? We, 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 would, we would be like, whoa, my failure did this. And we would not try and make excuses, yeah, for ourselves. What kind of excuses are you making today? If you really understood what sin does to God, then you would think twice before you intentionally do it again. The blood in the sacrifice should move you to see that 
a life was taken because of what you did. And then think about this. Think about how your sin has crucified Jesus on the cross. It was as if you had the hammer in your hands and you had the nail and you pounded that nail into his hands, into his feet. We should be repulsed at that. We sh- it should make us go, ah. Oh. When we understand what sin has done. I heard a story from one of my pastor friends on how he drove home one day passing by a cemetery. His daughter, who was little at that time, was in the car. And, and his daughter asked, hey, Dad, can we go to that park one day? Well, he explained that, no, it wasn't a park like that. It was actually a, a, a place where dead people were bur- buried. Well, she goes, ew, and she got so disgusted that um, my friend was saying in the next four years, every time they drove by the cemetery, she would hold her breath so not to breathe in the air from that place. He said he, she even taught her little brother to do the same. And then my friend said, sometimes just for fun, he would slow down when they passed by just to see if they can hold their breath all the way. <laughs> well, you see, though, it's true. Death is horrible. And it was my sin that did that horrible thing to put Jesus on the cross. But it is his blood, that blood that was shed, that became precious in that. That is the blood that atones for my sin. When the blood of Christ flowed, that became the end of death, my death. And that was the end of the curse of death. So that was, you see, when death defeated death. Let's move on here to number three, the substitution of Christ. The substitution of Christ. We've seen the sacrifice of life, the shedding of blood, and now the substitution of Christ. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. Verse 26. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Okay, I know this, as I told you from chapter 6 and even into chapter 10, these are hard words, but, um, but just, just to, I was thinking and praying today, I was reading um, in Acts today, and, and I read how in a verse how, how the church grew in the word of God. And so as we look into these verses, sometimes it's hard to understand, but as hopefully you understand and as, as these doctrines are, are, are placed in the foundation of your life, that we would all grow in the word of the Lord. So here, the, the author, the writer here, relates how after Jesus died here on earth, he did not go into the holy places. You remember what that is? That's the tabernacle. That's the temple, right? He didn't go, go into that, which... You know, he had mentioned, the writer had already mentioned, this is a copy of the real thing, the earthly tabernacle. But what did Jesus do? After he died, he entered into heaven itself, into the very presence of God, and he went there as what we've been reading, our mediator, right? But Jesus did not keep going in and out 
often, as the writer said here. He, he wasn't like the earthly high priest who entered the most holy place, right? That area behind the veil where the ark was and, and, and where the, the high priest could only enter in once a year in a certain way and bring atonement, right? That's not what Jesus did, the writer's saying. No, he didn't go in there like often, like go into heaven often, like how the high priest did in the earthly tabernacle. Jesus' ministry in heaven is not to keep atoning for our sin by repeating his sacrifice. That's what he's talking about. Why? Because if his death on a cross was not enough to cover our sins, then the writer's like, he would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, verse 26. In other words, since the beginning of, of, of time when sin entered, Jesus would have to keep dying for us and keep dying and dying for our sins. No, Jesus, when he died, covered all our sins and it was enough. So Jesus did not have to do that. But now, the writer says, Jesus died once at the end of the ages. And that's talking about this, this time we live in here. When Jesus died on the cross, from that point on, the, actually, the uh, New Testament writers call it the last days. But in this age we live in now, in this last section here, uh, as opposed to the first part before that, this is the end of ages, the last days, this last section where God's plan of salvation is in place through the gospel, through the death of Jesus Christ. And then it says, Jesus has appeared. He has come to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So the animal sacrifices of the old covenant could not cover sin. It was, it, it was only a temporary kind of fix. That's why they had to come in every year or do sacrifices every day or every celebration or Passover that they had. But the sacrifice of Jesus removed that sin. It, it brought a full forgiveness, removed the consequences of sin, which is that, that final finality of death. And now we have the salvation. So Jesus Christ only had to die once for all and need not be repeated. That's what he's saying here. Paul wrote in Romans 6, 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. And so as we've been reading and studying in the book of Hebrews, the writer puts it, Jesus died once and for all, right? So you understand this, right? So that's why Jesus isn't like the animal sacrifices, like he has to keep going in and out of heaven, keep dying, dying. No, once and for all, what he did covered all of our sins and made it so that it was permanent. It was a forgiveness that was full and that took care of that death, uh, finality of, of death. So then he says this, look at verse 27. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So here we see this is the reality that every person who is born will one day die. Now, that's outside of when the rapture happens and, and, and all of that or certain individuals, you know, in the Bible. But every person is going to die. Every human being has been appointed to a physical death. And that was part of the curse, too. This is, someone said, one appointment everyone will keep. Benjamin Franklin said it this way, nothing is certain except death and taxes, right? No one likes the taxes part. 
Well, and then after death comes what? The judgment. What is that? Well, you stand before God and you are held accountable for how you lived your life. Understand what the word is saying here. Verse 27, I did not write this. It's not my own philosophy. You know, don't get upset at me. Well, Pastor Rick, I can't believe that you're saying that. It's right here in the word of God. And God has put it here for us to understand his truth. So you live one life and have one death and then you face one judgment. So that means, right, no reincarnation thing, right? No, this, you come back a bug or you come back a better person. None, none of this stuff, right? No. One life, one death, one judgment. So after you die, everything, listen, everything you've done in this life is fixed. It's settled. You cannot go back. Yeah? You cannot go back and fix something. No do, do-overs. No sequels here. No Rocky 2, Rocky 3, Rocky 4. You come, keep coming back to fight and live again. None of that. Yeah? One life, right? One death and one, one judgment. You then stand before God and answer for everything you've done in that one life that you have been given to live. And you have to give account for your life. Now, that can be scary. It can be a scary moment when you stand before God, a holy God who knows and sees everything. And you have nothing to atone for your sins, right? We know the New Testament tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one's perfect here. And there's nothing in the Bible that says all your good stuff you did outweighs the bad stuff. No, one sin brings that finality of death and that penalty upon you. And I know me, I have many and many and many. Yeah? And if you, if you put it in a book yeah, and God opens up, I'm standing before him, that book's going to be pretty thick in my life. Yeah? But there's good news. No matter how thick that book is, if you put your faith in Jesus and what he's done for you, then that book is like, oh, you've been forgiven that. No more book. Jesus Christ has died for your sins, and that's the good news. You can have someone who has atoned for your sins, and you no need worry when you stand on that judgment day. And then, look at our last verse here, the first part. It says, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. And that's what I'm talking about. That's the good news here. That's the understanding. This is how it all works. We have a great hope and salvation. Now listen to what he's saying here. Just as every person is destined to die once, so Christ was offered once. He didn't have to keep going back and forth, back and forth, dying and repeated dying. See, what the earthly priest tried to do in repeated offerings, Jesus did in one supreme act and took care of it all. He died on the cross, and as it says in verse 28, to bear the sins of many. That means Jesus took upon his human body the punishment for all of our sins, you guys. He took our punishment. And now as we get into this verse here, at the end here, verse 28, Listen, this is a profound truth that we're looking at here. This is, this is doctrine. This is something the church is built upon. Listen, every single person has a single life to live. But what Jesus did was to take that single life, right, as God became a human being. He took that one opportunity with his human life. And you know what? He died, as all humans do. He suffered and died in our place. Isn't that amazing? 
Isn't that amazing? And in dying in our place, this is called the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. The doctrine of substitutionary atonement. This is the substitution of Christ. That's our heading. We should have suffered and died for our sins. We should have been put upon the cross. We should have been the ones who have been, been penalized, right, for our sins, for eternity even. You know, I think of how Jesus cried. Remember when he was on a cross and one of the seven sayings, one of the things he yelled out all of a sudden while he was hanging on the cross, you know what he said? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How could the Father forsake Jesus' son? Well, as we studied this in the past, it was because all the sins of the world were placed upon him right at that moment. That's why things got dark. That, that, that's, why, that's, that's why Jesus, in the middle, in the peak of bearing all, all of our sins and the penalty for our sins and bearing it was placed upon him, the Father could not look upon Jesus because of sin, the Holy Father. So he had to turn his back away from Jesus. And that was his cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But you know what? Jesus said that so that we wouldn't have to say that. That would have been our cry if we died in our sins. That would have been our finality because our state would be in the eternal hell. And like someone said, hell is the absence of God. Right? That makes sense. Heaven is eternity with God. Hell is that place without God. So we should have been the ones who paid the penalty for our sins, but Jesus bore our sins. He paid the penalty when he hung on the cross. And that's why Isaiah 53, 6, 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is amazing. Jesus subs, subbed in for us. He tapped in for us. He said, I'm going to do it for you. That's God. That's the heart of God. That's the love of God in our life. Now let's finish up here in verse 28, the last part. It says, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Now what the writer is saying that those who put their faith in Jesus, to those who eagerly wait for him to appear a second time. What, this is speaking of his second coming. His first coming was, was to come and die on a cross and then rise again from the dead. His second coming, though, he's going to come, right? And he's, he's going to then take over the earth, defeat the enemy, defeat Satan, and finally take over things. And then he's going to rule and reign on the earth. So this speaks of his second coming. In other words, Jesus will appear again, but this is not to make atonement. It's not like he's going in and out of heaven, having to die. No, when he comes, it's going to be apart from sin. In other words, it's, it's not going to be to die for sins. No, it will be for what? Salvation. And this means he will finalize our salvation, uh, the salvation of, a, salvation of a believer. When Jesus comes, he's going to take them to be with him forever. That's the idea. This is the culmination of salvation when Jesus comes to dwell with his people forever. Now, there's an interesting tie here to when the holy, I mean the high priest entered the holiest of holies. Now listen, 
Um, remember, the writer writes to the Jewish readers, right? So they understand that once a year, they atonement, Yom Kippur, the high priest will go into the holiest holy, sprinkle blood to make atonement. Now, when he went behind the veil, I've explained this to you before, remember, on the bottom of his robe was, was sewn in these little bells. So every time he walked, you can hear the tinkle, 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 tinkling of bells. So the high priest would go in, into the veil. No one else could see him because only one high priest could go in once a year into that holiest of holies where the ark is. So do you hear the tinkling of bells? But not only that, they would tie a rope around him. And he would go in with this rope and the other end would be, would be in the, the temple or the tabernacle room area there. And so he would go in with hearing the tinkling of the bells and with this rope. And the reason they had the bells and the rope is because if something went wrong, perhaps the, perhaps the high priest had sinned in his life and he didn't properly atone for it, you know. And something went wrong or he did things the wrong way or something because he was before a holy God, he would die on the spot. But how can they get him out, Right? They couldn't because only one high priest once a year could go into this area. So they tied the rope. So they'd listen for the tinkling of the bell. So if something went wrong, you wouldn't hear the bells no more. Yeah? And if you didn't hear the bells for a while, the other priest could pull him out without any retribution on them if someone went into the holiest of holies. That's the way it was, you guys. That was the limited access that we were talking about earlier here in the book of Hebrews. So... If the high priest did come out, though, after performing his ritual, he reappeared from behind the curtain, and, and the priest saw him. And then when, the pe- when he came out of the temple and the people saw him, you know what? The people will be, would have been relieved and filled with joy that the atonement was accepted. So now the writer's kind of tying this in to when Jesus returns the second time. When he appears, as it says here, when Jesus appears, it will be another confirmation like his resurrection that the heavenly father is satisfied with his substitutionary sacrifice, his death on the cross. So our last point is this this morning. As our substitute, Jesus took our place in what we rightly deserved when he died on the cross. As our substitute, Jesus took our place in what we rightly deserved when he died on the cross. I was uh, reading something here, um, um, sort of like an analogy to this. Uh, the 28th president of the United States was Thomas Woodrow Wilson. He served um, 1913 to 1921. Well, one night he was woken up in the middle of the night and his staff, one of his staff called him to inform him that one of his appointees had suddenly died. They, they were appointed to a certain position. Well, knowing this created a vacancy in the position, the caller, the caller boldly uh, asked the president and said, well, I'm sure we are all saddened by this news. I would like to know if I can take his place. There was a pause at the other end of the line, and then the president replied with this, well, it's all right with me if it's all right with the undertaker. I'm not sure that's what the caller meant by taking his place. I'm not sure that's his request, but that's what Jesus did for us. He took our place when he died on the cross. He took the punishment for our sins when he didn't do anything at all. Do you realize how incredibly huge this is, what Jesus has done? 
I was thinking, you know, sometimes we can get callous, right? When we talk about the cross of Christ and Jesus died for us and his blood was shed for us. And sometimes after a while, it just kind of goes in one year out the other. And maybe after years, you're kind of like, yeah, yeah, okay, I know that. I know that. Yeah, this is kind of boring, Pastor Rick. All you've been talking about is the same thing, you know. Hey, but again, it's not me. We're, we happen to be in this passage right now, and I think God has us looking into this very passage to wake us up to the, to the most selfless thing that anyone has ever done for us. That is to take the hit that we deserve. Death had, has had, death had its grip on us because we deserved it from our own sin. And then Jesus died in our place and put an end to that death. That curse that was upon us. His death defeated sin's death. Picture it this way. Think about how, how on that dark day when Christ was on the cross, there was three, three crosses put up, right? On that hill, on Golgotha. Two were for thieves. But the third one, it was actually for a guy named Barabbas. He was an insurgent. He was sort of like this domestic terrorist during that time of Rome, revolting and, and, and doing these attacks on, on Rome and, and soldiers and the government. Well, he was found guilty and condemned to die on the cross. But you know what happened. When Pilate presented Barabbas and Jesus, what did the people cry out? Crucify Jesus, crucify him. And what happened? Barabbas, that cross was supposed to be for Barabbas, but he was what? Set free. His life was spared, and Jesus hung where he should have. Jesus took the place of Barabbas, and with this one act, Jesus also took the place of every other sinner, you and me. As our substitute, Jesus took our place in what we rightly deserve when he died on the cross. How could we not all be deeply moved right now for what our Lord and Savior did? He did so much. How could we not make the choice to to give our life to Him, to live for Him, even more so to follow Him because of what He did selflessly for us? I'm going to close with this story. After a few of the usual Sunday evening hymns, the church's pastor slowly stood up and walked over to the pulpit. And before he gave his sermon for the evening, he briefly introduced a guest minister who was in the service that evening. In the introduction, the pastor told the congregation that the guest minister was one of his dearest childhood friends and that he wanted him to have a few moments to greet the church and share whatever he felt would be appropriate for the service. With that, the elderly gentleman stepped up to the pulpit and began to speak. He said this, A father and his son and a friend of his son were sailing off the Pacific coast. When a fast storm blocked any attempt to get back to the shore, the waves were so high even though the father was an expert sailor, he could not keep the boat upright and the three were swept into the ocean as the boat capsized. The old man hesitated for a moment, making eye contact with two teenagers who were, who were there. For the first time since the service began, these teenagers, looking somewhat interested in, in his story, began to listen. The aged minister continued with this, his story. 
Grabbing a rescue line, the father had to make the most excruciating decision of his life. To which the boy, to which boy would he throw the end of the lifeline? He had only seconds to make the decision. The father knew that his son was a Christian, and he also knew that his son's friend was not. The agony of his decision could not be matched by the torrent of waves. As the father yelled out, I love you, son, he threw out the lifeline to his son's friend. By the time the father had pulled the friend back to the capsized boat, his son had disappeared beneath the raging swells into the black night. His body was never recovered, the old man said sadly. By this time, the two teenagers were sitting up straight in a pew, anxiously waiting for the next words to come out of the old minister's mouth. The father, he continued, knew his son would step into eternity with Jesus, and he could not bear the thought of his son's friend stepping into an eternity without Jesus. Therefore, he sacrificed his son to save the son's friend. The minister said, How great is the love of God that he should do the same for us. Our Heavenly Father sacrificed his only begotten Son so that we could be saved. I urge you to accept his offer to rescue you and take hold of the lifeline he is throwing out to join to you in this service. Well, with that, the old man t- turned and sat back down in his chair. As silence filled the room, the pastor again walked slowly to the pulpit, delivered a brief servant, a sermon gave an invitation at the end, and some came to uh, forward for receive Christ. Well, moments after the service, the two boys who were at the old, were sitting in front, the two teen, teenagers were at the old man's side. That was a nice story, politely stated one of the boys, but I don't think it was very realistic for a father to give up his only son's life in hopes that the other would become a Christian. Well, you got a point there. The old man replied, glancing down at his worn Bible. As a big smile broadened his narrow face, he looked up again at the boys and said, It sure isn't very realistic, is it? But I am here today to tell you this story gives me a glimpse of what it must have been like for God to give up his only son for me. You see, I was that father and your pastor is my son's friend. We have a Heavenly Father who gave up His Son so that we may be rescued. And Jesus is His name. Death wanted us. But God sent Jesus to die on a cross for us. And now, death cannot keep us from being with God. Jesus died and ended death's grip. Christ's death ended sin's death. And that's when death defeated death let's all stand together and we'll close in a prayer and and a worship song jesus we stand before you to honor you god to give you glory god sometimes in our modern world and as we look back into history it's hard to see from this present time lord But almost 2,000 years ago, you gave your life. And as we read your word, we begin to understand more and more what that entailed, what that included, what really happened there. And God, as we understand this today, that your sacrifice, Lord, the blood that was shed, God, the 
how you substituted for us when you hung upon the cross. Lord, it came at a great cost and it came at the cost of your life. But you did it, Lord. You did it willingly. It wasn't some tragic circumstance. It wasn't some unjust deed that you had no power over when the Jewish leaders falsely gave witness against you and when Pilate and Rome came down and condemned you to the cross. But God, it was the choice you made to fulfill the plan of God that you would die on the cross for us so that we would not have to die, that we would not have to go to hell, that though we may die physically, Lord, that that is not the end of the end, that it is the beginning of a life with you. So God, we don't ever want to be ungrateful for all that you've done for us and forgive us right now. Forgive us for not taking seriously and seeing clearly all that you've done, Lord. And let, us, let it motivate us today to live even more for you, to follow you, to heed your word. And as we understand and grow in your word, Lord, may it be a foundation to all that we do, including being a light for you and sharing with others that you are the way, you are the truth, that, that you love You love those people around us and you want them, God. That you want to save them from their final death too. And Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning that have never given their heart, Lord, to you, that today would be the day that as they hear what the Spirit is saying, that they would truly understand what you've done for them. Lord God, help us all, Lord, this day to take in this truth to honor you as we stand before you and to find the true joy in the releasing of our burden of guilt and sin and find life a true life in you thank you Jesus thank you for the cross and for dying for us in Jesus name amen Let's worship the Lord. Mm